Well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know, I hope, that uh, we've been doing a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking about preaching this sermon on the Holy Spirit, I was thinking about the obvious question, why do we need a sermon series on the Holy Spirit? And I don't mean, why do um, people in general out there need to hear sermon series on the Holy Spirit? I mean, why do we need a series on the Holy Spirit? Why Why does this church need a sermon series on the Holy Spirit? The pastor's thought that we did. Why? Well, I'm convinced that we need a sermon series on the Holy Spirit because we practically ignore him. And I mean exactly that. We practically ignore him. In our practice, we ignore the Holy Spirit. In the actual living out of the details and struggles of our daily lives, we We live as if there is no such thing as the person of the Holy Spirit. For most of us in this church and in the church worlds that most of us come from, the only time the person of the Holy Spirit comes to mind is when we're reacting against some abuse or some extreme that we see in some other church or some other tradition. We see the Holy Spirit as something to guard against. We build our firewalls to protect us and to keep him out because after all we are respectable other than that other than thinking about how we can protect against the holy spirit we have no practical knowledge of the holy spirit and yes we sing the doxology every sunday praise father son and holy ghost and more often than not those are just words and they're weird weird words at that especially this this ghost thing So practically speaking, we're just as bad as the people in the city of Ephesus that we read about in Acts chapter 19. Just listen to these words. It says, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, the Apostle Paul, passed through the upper country and came down to Ephesus, another city, and he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no. We have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, we're not that bad, but close. Awful close. At least practically speaking. Now, if you don't believe me, ask yourself this question. When was the last time that anything happened in your life that could only be explained... By the supernatural divine power of God, the Holy Spirit. In your life, practically speaking, when was the last time that something happened in you that can only be explained by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in you? Now, I'm not really talking about things like being healed or speaking in tongues or having having visions, although... We should not despise those things or think that they don't exist. In fact, we should seek them and ask for those kinds of things as long as we want them for the glory of God and for the good of his kingdom and not for our own glory 
We should seek those things. But that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about more everyday kinds of things, things like this, things like loving your enemies. When's the last time you were able to do something that that could only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit, like loving your enemies? Or being joyful when you're exhausted? Having peace in the middle of a tragedy, like losing a baby? Being patient when you were wronged? Being kind to people who hate you? Being good to people who do not deserve it. Being faithful when you don't feel like being faithful. Being gentle when your kids are driving you nuts. Being self-controlled when you're tired and stressed out and frazzled with life. Are those things commonplace in your life? And can you do any of that on your own? Now, there's a lot that you can do on your own. There's a lot that you can do without any help from the Holy Spirit at all. There's a lot that you can do that requires no other explanation than your own fear and your own pride. There's a lot of stuff that you can do that looks good, that has nothing else behind it than fear and pride. For example, can you come to church without the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Can you dress modestly without the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Can you have well-behaved kids without the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know about that one. Yes, you can. Can you, um, can you quit smoking without the help of the Holy Spirit? People do it all the time. Can you, um, can you be nice without the help of the Holy Spirit? Can you protest at the abortion clinic without the power of the Holy Spirit? People do it all the time. Can you be honest without the help of the Holy Spirit? Can you be a hardworking, responsible, respectable man without the power of the Holy Spirit? Can you be self-disciplined without the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. You can do all of that without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do all of that and have the power and the motivation come from nothing more than fear and pride. If you don't believe me, just look at a good Buddhist or a good Muslim or a good Mormon or just a good old-fashioned, hard-working Midwestern farmer. But can you love your enemies? Can you control your tongue? I mean, really control it. Not just when you know that someone's looking and you don't want to be embarrassed by what normally comes out of your mouth at home. But can, you, can you really control your tongue? Can you be filled with lasting peace and joy? Can you really put your sin to death, not because you're afraid of what might happen to you, or afraid of what people will think of you, but because you love God? Can you do battle with your sin? Can you do that without the Holy Spirit? Never. You can do a lot that looks good and is very helpful for getting along at work and getting along at home and getting along in the church, but all of it can be explained without any supernatural power or motivation at all. So is that you? Do you have any practical experience of the Holy Spirit working in you? Do you really 
rely on him daily for the desire and the ability to obey God? Do you rely on him daily for the for him to show you your sin? Do you rely on him daily, not just for him to show you your sin, but for him to point you to Jesus Christ and show you his righteousness and his gospel that makes you trust in him and grab a hold of him? Do you have any felt sense of his power at work in you? Do you have any sense of his power working in you to enable you, to empower you, to strengthen you, to kill your pride and your selfishness and your lust? Do you have any sense of him as a person who is himself fighting inside of you, fighting for you, fighting against you? Changing what you actually want and love and hope in. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you really know Him? Practically. Or are you too sophisticated for that? Too rational for that? Too American? Too middle class? Too white? Too intellectual? Too safe? Too proud? Too reformed? Brothers and sisters, can't you see that our continuing struggles with sin, our coldness of heart, our fearfulness, our joylessness, our formalism, our dullness and dryness, can't you see that it all comes from our willful ignorance of the Holy Spirit practically? When will we embrace the truth that we cannot live as a Christian on our own? That you need more than just good theological data in your head combined with a little sweat in order to live the Christian life. That you'll never be able to both maintain your pride and your respectability and at the same time know the power of God. When will we get it? When will we see it? When will we seek after and call out for and pursue and trust and rely on and fellowship with and want the Holy Spirit? We need a sermon series on the Holy Spirit (laughs) because we practically ignore it. And the ironic thing about that is when, when we read the Bible and see what the Holy Spirit actually does in the life of a Christian, the main thing that he does in the life of a Christian has everything to do with, with practice, with practical life. It's all practical, or at least it has very practical results. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian is all about living the details of your life in the power and presence and person of the Holy Spirit so that you can obey God. That is why God has given us His Holy Spirit. And so if we ignore Him practically, guess what? We won't be able to obey God. We'll be able to pull off all kinds of nice-looking stuff, but we won't really obey Him. There are many places where we could go to see that, but I want us to look this morning at Galatians 5, 
16 to 26. Galatians 5:16. He says, "But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh." For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, here's what's going on in this passage. There's one command, one main command, with a promise attached for those who obey the command, and everything else in these verses just supports that. So the command is in the first part of verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit. And the promise for those who obey that command is in the second part of verse 16. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So in other words, if you obey the command, if you walk by the Spirit, then you will certainly know the reality of this promise. You will not carry out, fulfill, gratify the lusts of your flesh. Now that's a magnificent promise. That's a magnificent promise. Do you ever feel hopeless in the face of your own sin? Let me put it another way. Do any of us not ever feel hopeless in the presence of our own sin? Do you look at yourself and think, I'll never be able to change. I feel powerless against the self-centeredness that I see in myself. I feel powerless against my desires. How can I change what I want? This is what I want. How can I change what I want? How can I change anything? Well, what are you going to do about that sense of hopelessness? What is your hope for changing? Galatians 5.16 tells us that our only hope for changing is that God gives us a promise. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, the great question for us then is, what in the world does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does that mean? Is it some kind of mystical experience reserved for these super spiritual saints that float above the rest of us and glow as they as they float? Is it... Um, is it, uh, is it talking about having warm spiritual feelings as we go through our day, you know, being happy all the time or something like that? Is it 
hearing a voice telling me what to do and how to do it? No. It's none of that. The answer is simply this. Whatever you do in the details of your life, do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the conduct of your life, the daily mundane details of your life, all the details of your life, all the interactions, all the thoughts, all the words, all the actions, all the relationships be governed and controlled and enlivened by the power and the purity of the Holy Spirit. And God's promise is that if you do that, if you live by the guidance and the power and the direction and the purity of the Holy Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to live your life by the guidance and power and direction of the Holy Spirit? What in the world does that mean? Well, what I want us to do is look at the words that he uses in this passage. And what he does is he uses a few pictures. And he assumes that we'll understand what they mean. So it can't be that complicated. And he paints these pictures and uses these illustrations to tell us what it means to walk by the Spirit. Let's look at each one of these. Well, let me tell you what they are first. First is in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. That's the first one. Verse 17 For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The third is in verse 18, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And the last one's down, verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us walk by the spirit. So let's look at each one of these. Verse uh, 16, but I say, walk by the spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Literally, we could translate this as walk by means of the spirit. Walk by means of the Spirit. So what's he mean by walk? This word walk is the normal word for walking around on the earth. It's the word that you would use if you were walking down to the store to get your bread. It's the word that just means walk. And this is the word that Paul always uses for living the Christian life. He always uses the word walk. Now why is that important? Because what the word means is go about your life. Do all the things that you normally do. It literally, the word is walk around. So there's this cycle of life that all of us are very familiar with where you wake up in the morning and you um, hopefully brush your teeth and you eat your breakfast. Well, you eat your breakfast, then you brush your teeth, then you go to work and then you... Whatever happens during that day, you know, you go to lunch pretty much at the same time. You come home pretty much at the same time. You have this routine that you settle into pretty much all the same thing every night. And then you go to bed and then you wake up and you eat your breakfast and you brush your teeth and you go to work. And there's this cycle of life. And nothing spectacular. Pretty boring. That's the word walk. talking about the daily grind. Live the details of your life. That's what the word walk means. Nothing spectacular. Nothing out of the ordinary. Go to work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get out of bed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk to your wife by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do your work. Do your rest. Do all of it. By means of the Holy Spirit. 
So what does that mean? It simply means that you need to live out your life. All of the details of that, not as if things are chopped up in little little boxes where you come to church and that's the Holy Spirit, but it has nothing else to do with anything else. It's about living out the details of your life in constant conscious dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit to make you live as a child of God. It means to be aware of your inability and your weakness. That's where it has to start. To be aware of your sin and your inability and your weakness to live as a child of God. It means to know that you can't do anything along the lines of real obedience without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. Think of it like this. It means that the Holy Spirit is your walker. It's what you you lean on. Because it says walk by means of the Spirit. So as you go about your daily life, as you go about those details, you're leaning on this walker, the Holy Spirit, who is able to keep you and make you able to walk. You lean on him so that you can walk, so that you can obey. Now, let's keep painting the picture that Paul paints for us. Look at the next one. We're going to put all this together. The next image is in verse 17. Where he says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. This is the image of war. This is conflict. This is struggle. And the struggle happens inside every Christian. And the conflict is on the battlefield of your desires, what you want. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Now, every Christian in this room knows exactly what Paul's talking about here. Every one of us knows exactly what he means. Because we have felt it. Because the Christian life is always a life of internal conflict. And this internal conflict is normal. Don't ever think that you're weird because you feel this internal conflict between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. When you experience an internal tug of war between what your self-centered flesh wants and what the God-centered Holy Spirit wants, don't be dismayed or discouraged. You are living the normal Christian life. That's it. You'll never get beyond it. You'll never gain some kind of complete victory where that will never be the case anymore. You will never get beyond this internal conflict. As long as you live on this earth in this sinful world, you will always know what it is to have the desires of your flesh and the desires of the Holy Spirit duking it out inside of you. Some of you experienced it early this morning. I know I should get up and go to Sunday school because after all, Sunday school is really good. But man... Man, I was up late last night. Or maybe, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was a little later than that. Maybe it was on the way to church this morning. Especially you with families, young families. I know that I should be loving and peaceful and joyful and kind and gentle and faithful and self-controlled. But we're late. Makes me crazy when we're late. After all, what will people think of us if I walk into the church late? Some of you experience this struggle between the desires of your flesh and the desires of the Holy Spirit. 
this past week when you gave yourself to pleasures that you knew were wrong and out of place. I know I shouldn't be smoking this or drinking this or taking this or doing this or eating this or looking at this or talking like this. But I want to. I want to. Every last one of us who's a true Christian experiences this internal struggle between what our self-centered flesh wants and what the God-centered Holy Spirit wants. And the only people here today who do not know what that struggle is like firsthand are the people who do not have the Holy Spirit. The only people here today who do not know the struggle firsthand are those who are not true Christians. And if you can coast through your life with no sense of inner conflict between what you so often want to do and what you know you should do, then you are spiritually dead. If there's no fight going on inside of you, you are spiritually dead. And you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in you and changing you and and empowering you and motivating you and opposing your self-centered desires. If you can sin all you want without a blink, if the only conscience that you have is about what people will think of you, if that's the only thing that keeps you from sinning, then it's very likely you don't have the Holy Spirit in you at all. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not a Christian. Because Paul says in Galatians 5.17 that the normal experience of, of a Christian is one where the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh, and these things are in opposition against each other, and that's what it is. The Christian life is a life of war. Now, is that good news? That's good news. Paul is using verse 17 to prove verse 16. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh because, that's what he says, verse 17, because the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. Now, do you see what he says at the end of verse 17? The whole purpose of this constant internal struggle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit that you all know very well if you're a Christian is so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, what do you first think when you hear those words? What I used to think when I read the end of that verse was something like this. Um, What a hopeless struggle. Yeah, I can't do the things that I please. And I assume as I read that that the things that I please are the good things. But that's not at all what he's saying. He's not saying I'm in this struggle and I can't do the good things that I want to do. Boy, what a bummer. He is saying the exact opposite of that. The whole point of this is to prove what he says in verse 16. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So what he says here at the end of verse 17 validates the promise of verse 16. He's saying one of the reasons that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh if you're walking by the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit and the flesh are always opposed to each other, but the Holy Spirit will win. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit in you will keep you from doing the bad things that your flesh wants to do. Or as it says in verse 16, the Holy Spirit enables you to not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's the whole point. That is why, why verse 17 is such wonderful news. If you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, there is wonderful hope for you. You don't face the battle against the desires of your flesh alone. The Holy Spirit of God, the sovereign Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, powerful God, is is working in you. And he's not just working in you, he's fighting in you. And he is at work and fighting in order to fight against your self-centered flesh, the stuff that you want, that is in rebellion against God. Now, some of you have, have, a, have a, a view of depravity, of how bad you are, that somehow you use in your mind to cancel out the power of the Holy Spirit. And you think that you're glorifying God and being humble by saying, no, I'm really bad, I'll never be able to obey God. And you're twisting Scripture against itself to keep you in your sin. And you think that you're being godly and spiritual by doing it. Whatever your theology is about how bad you are, you're probably worse, by the way, than you think you are. But the Holy Spirit is more powerful than you. Who do you think is going to win? Here's a battle. Here's a boxing match. And in this corner, we have the Holy Spirit. Sovereign, eternal, all-powerful, creator of the heavens and the earth, regenerator, gifter, sanctifier. Oh yeah, and over here in this corner you have your flesh. Uh, Where's your bet on that fight? Who's going to win? Paul says, God says, that the Holy Spirit is going to win. And that's exactly why Paul can promise us in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm convinced that the, the reason that many of us struggle against ongoing patterns of sin is not because we don't know that, that there are ongoing patterns of sin. It's because we do not believe that the Holy Spirit is there or that he's able, or that he's willing to change us. We just don't believe it. Let's look at the next one. The next image that Paul uses to describe what it means to have this relationship with the Holy Spirit that leads to obedience is the image of being led. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What's it mean to be led by the Spirit? It doesn't mean some kind of a mystical, you know, the Holy Spirit as your dowsing rod, kind of leading you around, showing you what to do. He is talking about what we call sanctification. He's talking about the process by which the Holy Spirit makes us holy, makes us able to obey God. So what's he saying by using this image of being led by the Spirit? It's very similar to the idea of, being, of walking by the Spirit in verse 16, but it's different. You do the walking, 
verse 16. The Holy Spirit does not walk for you. The Holy Spirit does not obey for you. You do the walking, but the Holy Spirit does the leading. He takes you by the hand and helps you. He leads you in your obedience. Earlier I said that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is like the walker that you lean on that helps you walk. That's really not right at all because that makes the Holy Spirit this thing. The Holy Spirit is actually a person, and he leads you. Some of you have little children who are just now learning how to walk. uh, That's why they call them toddlers, because they toddle. And they fall down a lot, and they're just learning how to walk. And so what do you do? You don't walk for them. If you walk for them, they'll never walk. Holy Spirit won't walk for you, but he takes you by the hand and he will lead you. And you lean on him and you use him to help you. And he leads you as you obey him. That's what it's like to be led by the Spirit. The power of the direction that will enable you to live a holy life. The last image is verse 25. It's the image of a soldier walking in line behind his captain. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That looks exactly like what we've already seen in verse 16, but it's completely different because this word walk is a different word. It's the word that was used for what a soldier did when he was marching in formation. Some of you have experience with this yourself. When you're walking in formation behind the, the leader, you walk. And, and the NIV actually translates it better. It says, keep in step with the Spirit. So you keep in step with him as he walks. You keep in step with him. He leads you. You keep marching right on behind him, going exactly where he goes, leading exactly, following exactly where he leads. Let's keep in line behind him. That's the exhortation. And I give you that same exhortation. I give it to all of you. Brothers and sisters, if we are Christians, if we know the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit, if we claim to belong to Jesus Christ, then live like it. Let's live like it. And the only way we can live by it is, live like it is by embracing and longing for and wanting and seeking and asking for the presence and the power and the purity of the Holy Spirit. God has given us this wonderful promise of verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and when you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, but you won't have the promise if you don't obey the command. If you will not walk by the Spirit, you will, you will satisfy the desires of your flesh. If you stiff-arm the Holy Spirit, you will carry out the desire of your flesh. If you think you don't need the Holy Spirit in order to obey God, you will carry out the desires of your flesh. If you live as if you can obey God on your own, because after all, the only kind of obedience that you think about is, is the thin little veneer over your life that any good, upright, proud, fearful person can do. If you think you don't need the Holy Spirit, In order to obey God, you will carry out the desire of your flesh no matter how hard you try not to because the Holy Spirit, God, resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you have such a shallow, clean, respectable view of your sin that you think you can actually handle it? 
Or do you have such an inflated view of your own strength that you think you can handle it? You're filled with pride. And God resists the proud. And you'll never know the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to make you like Jesus Christ if you refuse to look at yourself square in the face and see the depths of your depravity and your self-deception and your self-righteousness and your self-reliance and your rebellion. You won't be the little, little toddler reaching out for the hand if you think you can walk. You have to humble yourself. You'll never know the power of the Holy Spirit in you if you continue to live in pride before God. And you'll never know the power of the Holy Spirit if you continue to live in pride before one another. The last verse of this section is verse 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. If you want to really know the power of the Holy Spirit working in you practically daily, changing you, winning the fight against what you want, then you have to turn away from your conceited, boastful, challenging, envying pride. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. And the Holy Spirit, as a person, can be grieved, saddened. And the one place where God says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, is in Ephesians 4. And it's all surrounded by how we treat other people. Some of you do not have, do not know the power of the Holy Spirit because of the way you treat all the people in your life. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one, one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you have no sense of the Holy Spirit working in you, either you're not a Christian or you have grieved the Holy Spirit by your pettiness or your unwholesome speech or your bitterness or your sourness or your self-centered temper or your maliciousness or your anger or your pride, your arrogance. And in either case, if you're not a Christian or if you have grieved the Holy Spirit, the answer is the same. Come to Jesus Christ. And he is powerful and kind and full of grace, and he is willing and able to save you from your sin. And every one of us needs to hear that over and over again. When the angel Gabriel came to Joseph to reassure him, Go ahead and marry Mary Go ahead and take her as your wife, even though she's pregnant. He said, don't be afraid. The child who has been born, who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you believe that? He will save you not just from the penalty of your sin, which is death. He will save you from the power of your sin. Do you believe it? Will you come to him? Some of you are making the decision right now in your heart that no, I won't come to him. 
I like myself and I like my sin. And you are condemning yourself to a life of misery and eternal damnation. Why would you want to do that? Let's pray.